Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about Heat Rock. You know, an album that just burns eternally. And today, <laughs> we will be wading through the massive 1991 anthology, The Complete Capital Recordings of the Nat King Cole Trio. <laughs> The song I sing, you're the stars and moon, and nearly everything. Life would be a symphony, waiting all for you. When Nat King Cole passed away in 1965, at just the age of 45, he left behind a wife, five children, and a catalog that would be the envy of any artist in the history of American pop music. Especially as we're recording today's episode a few weeks before Christmas, it is inevitable that you'll be hearing his Christmas song at some point, probably at many points. (laughs) But that indelible track is but a mere drop within the ocean of hits that he recorded in his 20-plus year recording career almost all of which was for Los Angeles's Capitol Records. In 1991, Mosaic Records compiled 349 tracks he recorded as part of the Nat King Cole Trio and released it as a staggering 16-CD box set. That would have been 27 LPs for the wax addicts out there. Mm-hmm. The set provided Cole fans with nearly 17 hours worth of music spanning the scratchy 78s from the mid-1940s when Cole was primarily known as a pianist through his imperial period of the 1950s when even Sinatra couldn't touch his string of hits through the last recordings he made in the 1960s before his cancer diagnosis. Mm. With so much music to swim through, the complete Capitol Recordings offers an endless numbers of surprises for the amateur and hardcore Nat King Cole fan alike. I know I certainly acquired a whole new appreciation for the once and eternal mm. King Cole. My heart is beating to the old refrain When I'm alone with you Complete Capital Recordings of the Nat King Cole Trio was the album pick of our guest today. The creators and hosts behind the podcast switched on pop. Have you ever wondered how popular music works and why it matters? No? Then you should. Do some soul searching out there. Get your life together. If so, look no further than our guests today, Nate Sloan and Charlie Harding, this duo, a musicologist and songwriter respectively. They unpack the culture of pop, the meaning of pop, the elements of crafting a song, how it floats, rises, and remains relevant. Their podcast, Switched on Pop, is deeper than a deep dive. It's like 20,000 leagues under the sea excavation. Their book goes hard on sonic discourse, visiting Janelle and K-Dot, Three Stacks, Beyonce. You have to pronounce it like that because she's regal. Skrillex and McCartney. Get into it and get into this episode. We are honored because these dudes have joined us today for a session. Nate and Charlie, welcome to Heat Rocks. Thank you so much. We're thrilled to be here. This is so much fun. So Q-Tip said, rap is not pop. If you call it that, then stop. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what else isn't pop, or at least I didn't think so, was Nat King Cole. How did you guys uh, come to choose this this album? Why this one? Yeah, this is all my fault. Uh, Apologies uh, (laughs) for for just dumping this massive collection (laughs) on on your heads. But um, 
I think Nat King Cole for me is is just one of those foundational uh, musicians, and and Charlie has graciously uh, sort of agreed to come on this this ride with us. <laughs> he's he's not as deep a, a Cole head as as I am, um, and I, I think I I picked it maybe exactly to sort of prod at that question you you asked Morgan. It's like he's he's an artist for me that points to uh probes the boundaries of what pop is and like sits in all these these different genres in a really uh beautiful and and sometimes provocative way so i thought uh in addition to my just my deep love of these recordings he uh talking about them could bring up some issues across time and space that Mm -hmm. we would that would be really fun to to dig into Mm -hmm. how did you come across this anthology in particular I know exactly how I got here. It was it was from uh, listening to the radio and hearing uh, the guitarist John Pizzarelli cover this song called "The Best Man" that I'd never heard ah. before. I guess I've got a heart meant fooling around with chicks. For in that love department, I know all the latest tricks. Now I ran across this girl one day. And uh, and it it just it, it cracked me up. I loved it, and then yeah. I realized that it was a cover of an Nat King Cole song, which sent me to the to the early King Cole trio recordings. She said I was the best man who ever knocked on her door. She said I was the best man, the fella she waited for. She said I was the best man. Uh, and from there, I just realized that there was this other side of Nat King Cole, who, um, in your beautiful intro, you know, you described as just really a titan of popular music, mm-hmm. but maybe someone who I, yeah, associated more with the Christmas carols and didn't right. take really seriously. And then that tune was uh, the the door that 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 opened me into this whole other world of of Nat King Cole and this jazzy, swinging, elegant, impossibly cool and effervescent sound. So yeah. Just go around the horn here, since we're about to go into the deepest of dives into into Cole and his his catalog, at least what he recorded as part of the trio. We can get into that distinction later. Um, Can we just all talk about a little bit about what were our what have been our associations with Nat King Cole as someone who I think in in some ways was completely is completely ubiquitous within just the listening landscape, if you will. Um, But what did you come into this before you really sat with this anthology thinking about him? Um, Charlie. You want to well, I'm probably the converted amateur who came when 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 Nate suggested this record or something that's really important to him. I w- actually probably had the reaction of what early Nate would have thought, which is like, but he just had like a bunch of like silly pop hits yeah. that I don't know were like maybe like G-rated commercial fluff. Mm. I'm I'm putting on a, like a snobbery hat right now, sure. And listening to this, I, I I'll admit I didn't get all the way through the 16 hours of the anthology, but I, I didn't confession neither did I. So. Get out of here. <laughs> But yeah. I, I, I've been playing it in the background for the last week and, yeah. and tuning into certain songs. And what I really, the, the impression that I had actually was, wow, this is pop music. Like it actually, it has this, it feels like it's reaching for people to sing along to. Mm. It feels like it's celebratory music. Even though there's no drumming, it feels mm-hmm. like there's a, it's it's often fast paced music that almost has like a dance kind of groove to it. Mm-hmm. And it's very vocal forward for somebody who is such a, what I didn't know, brilliant instrumentalist. Yeah. So. This was a, a great discovery for me and something that I think is going to be a, a further lifelong discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Morgan? 
I came to know Nat King Cole, as you mentioned, through the Christmas song. Right. We talk a lot about yeah. what could be played in the house and what couldn't. <laughs> and uh, uh, Cole got oh, the pass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my over the years, my attachment to him has grown much stronger because of, of music supervision. Yeah. Mm. And going back into moments... Um, in in sort of cinematic history and television history where I've heard his songs. And in prep for the chat, I started thinking about As Good As It Gets. Mm. And before I even wanted to be a music supervisor, knew what that was, I remember Sentimental Reasons. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, that was perfect. I'll give you my heart I love you and you alone were meant for me. Like Charlie, I, I didn't get through all nearly 17 hours, but what I just did instead of listening to it as a linear experience was just hit shuffle on it mm. oh, yeah. and let myself be surprised, which is not hard because, you know, prior to this, if you had made me try to name even 10 Nat King Cole songs, I would have come up probably seven short. Um, you know, outside of obviously the Christmas song, and as a fan of Wong Kar Wai, he uses uh, his Kizas, 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 which is not on this particular anthology because, as I learned the distinction, that wasn't recorded with the trio, but we'll, we can get into that in, in a moment. But my point being, I didn't really know much about Cole, his anywhere near the entirety of his musical output. What did listening to this anthology teach you about Cole that you hadn't realized before? Oh, that's good. Ooh, yeah. Um, to step back for a second, I think our show, Switched on Pop, and now this this book that we've written, is all about taking really familiar figures and sometimes maybe even sort of maligned figures of like of popular music and sort of leaving your uh your your taste and your presuppositions about them at the door and just going in with open ears and seeing what sort of musical and cultural and biographical discoveries come about through that practice. And that's been an amazing experience. And And I think Nat King Cole really fits in that for me because, you know, I appreciate your question, Oliver. It's like, what like what did you think about this artist at, at a certain point? And, yeah. and it was like, he's he's square. He's kind of well seven, you know? Yeah. He's yeah. like, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, now, again, it's very different. Now I hear the Christmas song and I'm like, ooh, man take me away you know like it's a beautiful vocal merry christmas like, that's like the sound of christmas Mas, at the very end of that song um but so i think what what he taught me um and this is like the story of the show i think for both charlie and i is like is to embrace um the sort of the the lightness and the accessibility and the joy of of popular music and these early recordings to me are like just hit such a sweet spot because it has all that. It has that elegance, that effervescence, but it also has this, like, it shows that he could also swing so hard and there's these incredible ways that he, like, brings elements of African-American culture into the pop mainstream and he's also, like, covering popular songs. So it's just, like, I don't know, it's just kind of represents, like, a pop textbook or something for mm -hmm. me. Just these recordings and all their massive manifold like glory taking off the snob hat putting on the curious hat and we hear a whole lot more there we go yeah
clock is striking, guess it's half past two. My baby left. Charlie, I'm curious, especially as someone who is the resident singer-songwriter in the room, when you hear Cole, especially across the spectrum of sounds that he has on here, what are you hearing? I think the main thing that I first noted when I was listening with Nate was that he is a really crafty songwriter and that I heard a lot of influence of sort of like Tin Pan Alley sort of songwriting that um, he would have these brilliant little tags at the end of his song that when you got there, you had a smile on your face mm-hmm. because you didn't know where you were going to get. It's something that we, we when we were thinking about that it doesn't, that sort of style of cleverness and songwriting doesn't really fit today's sort of cult of authenticity it reads as as manufactured mm. but there's something really pleasurable that the whole meaning of the song changes when you get that final tag that was the first thing i noticed but the other which i think was even more profound for me was that he is somebody who is accompanying his own vocal mm-hmm. and actually the the contemporary analogy we had was like someone like anderson pock where when you are the accompaniment and the rhythm, because he was kind of playing, there's no drums in the trio, right? So the guitar and the piano are sort of filling in. And what creates so much energy and momentum is that he is an unbelievably gifted pianist. Like, I was so tuned into his playing. Yeah, It's secondary to his vocal, because the vocal in most of these songs is, is, these are pop songs, these are meant to be sung. And that those were those were the two big insights for me when when I when I dug into this music. I'm glad you brought that up because I think what really jumped out to me when I was listening to this on shuffle is a lot of those songs does begin with Cole on piano, and I never really paid attention to your point about Cole as the pianist. I think I knew somewhere in the back of my head, yes, he played piano, but it just we think of him so much as a vocalist. But I think what this, especially the trio recordings, highlights is yeah, that dude's on the keys too. Yeah, one example of this that. That And again, you can have plucked out dozens and dozens of songs in here that do this. But for example, his version of In the Mood for Love, you really hear just the gift that he has on the keys. And I was reading somewhere that he was a big influence. I want to say, was it on Art Tatum? Yeah, because Art Blakey's the drummer, I think. Yeah. So yeah, I think it would be Art Tatum would be the pianist. So I would have assumed it was the other way around. But I mean, he was so prolific. He was so popular that a lot of people who were coming up behind him were influenced by what he was doing. Again, not just as a vocalist, but as an instrumentalist. And that's one thing that, uh, how this album affected me, because it was a moment where I pulled myself away from him as a vocalist and got into him as a musician. It's well known that he wanted to be a jazz musician, right? He said, I'm a musician at heart. He said something like, I know I'm not really a singer. I couldn't compete with real singers, but I sing because the public buys. And I'm like, well, yo, if you're not a real singer, who, you know, who, who is? You know what I'm saying? Who really is? But this album forced me to look at him differently. This was also part of my Nat King Cole journey. It was like, whoa, what an incredibly talented p- pianist. What an influential pianist. This trio format we've been talking about with piano, uh, bass, and guitar, no drums, becomes like its own kind of standardized form almost. Can I interrupt you? Yeah, please. My ear when I'm hearing this trio is filling in the percussion. Right, like the guitar is like oftentimes doing that like chunky, yeah, chick, chick, 
right. Chick, the Freddie Chick, Green, the Freddie Green, Count Basie's guitar player. Chunk, yeah. chunk, chunk. It's like that's kind of doing the percussion for you, but like yeah. the the emptiness of it sort of pulls me in closer. It has that intimate quality, and yet I think just because of my association with other music of this period i'm hearing what would be in there and it right. makes me feel like i'm the fourth player sure. and that's the sound mm. you get when you're when you're a group that's been playing together for 10 years probably like some crazy probably like every night sometimes you know probably multiple shows a night and just honing that that i mean it sounds like it's floating on air almost and that <laughs> that sound charlie of like you know we're all just creating this groove together that like grooves really hard and you're kind of like on oh, you're like not nodding your head and grooving but then it, it also just it's just again like floating up somehow yeah that's really hard to do there's times when he's singing and then in between he'll do these little piano fills that actually read to me like drum fills mm. like that's where the per- it's a percussionist sort of mindset filling in yeah. Well, you think about where this music came from. It was like, I mean, Nat King Cole is a guy who, as as Morgan said, you know, wanted to be a pianist, yeah. toured the country as a jazz pianist, and ended up here in Los Angeles um, at a with at a residency playing jazz piano until one night got a vocal request and basically was like, oh, okay, I'll try it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let me here here goes. Please the people. And that you know that was obviously a turned everything changed after that after he opened his mouth right and then it was like nothing would ever be the same really. shout out to whoever made that vocal request <laughs> whoever was like i wonder if he can sing let's see if he can sing shout out to that individual seriously if i'm not mistaken i think the song was sweet lorraine that's right yeah. which is which was his first hit um recorded for decca so the version that's on and there's actually multiple versions on this album but um they do he recorded it throughout his life because it was such a, a signature uh, hit for him each night i pray that no one will steal her heart away I can't wait until that lucky day When a marry sweet Lorraine I just want to give a shout out to Oscar Moore, who's, who was the guitarist, Indeed. at least in the first decade of the trio. And to be clear, the trio changed personnel throughout the years. Right. But when he first started, he had the same crew around him yeah. for for those, uh, the, really the first decade of his career. And, this, this is just Oscar and Wesley Prince, yeah? I believe so, okay. yeah. Yeah, but that's Oscar Moore and guitar. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of the, the tracks, on, especially in the first, I don't know, like eight discs of, of this anthology, you, the, you know, the guitarist you hear is more, and Moore is doing just sublime work on here. Um, we've been talking a lot about the voice of, of Cole, and let's, let's maybe try to dig deeper into this for a moment here. I was just thinking back to when we had... Karen Tongson on, uh, Nate's USC colleague, as it were, talking about mm. Karen Carpenter. And one of the things that Karen Tongson mentioned about what has been said about her, the other Karen, and this came from Dionne Warwick, was um, Warwick once compared Carpenter's voice to, quote, the smell of smoking wood, wow. unquote, which is always really evocative. Come on now. And what's funny is when, when we were prepping for this, I, for whatever reason, I had that term, like the smell of smoking wood, but I thought I had read it applied to Nat King Cole. Mm. And of course it wasn't. It was talking about Karen Carpenter. But nonetheless, it seems like an, also an apt metaphor in yeah. terms of that, that element of it. So what is it that we can say about Cole's voice? I mean, at the risk of sounding super Fisher Price, <laughs> it sounds to me like Werther's original hard candies. <laughs> It is sort of a butterscotch caramel hybrid. Mm. Um, it sounds like butter and cream yeah. and uh, 
although it wasn't wasn't made in Europe. It was made in Montgomery, Alabama. But it sounds like, to me, something really sweet that you have to take your time with. If I was being elegant, I'd say cashmere, but uh, <laughs> but it, it, in my mind, the first thing that came to mind was Werther's Original Hard Candies, where you're like, what is this? Is this butterscotch? Is this caramel? And that's how I feel every time. Yeah. Lene Denise was on here, and she talked about... Um, Aretha Franklin's throat being a motherland. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I thought about this whole album was how much wonder is in Nat King Cole's throat. Um, His discipline, his restraint, and this sort of this quiet power. Like, sometimes you think, like, he held that note for a really long time without some of the tricks that show up in in R&B later. It's just sort of... It, it is elegance at every level. Yeah. It's, he's uh, not overdressed, as we say. Everything's in the right place. I'm so glad we're talking about Nat's voice because this is something we love to do and also find really um, sort of vexing sometimes is talking about timbre, the, mm-hmm. the tone of a, of a voice. Like we write in our, in our book, timbre is like the, the final frontier of sort of musical discussion. We don't really have a lot of terminology to describe how something sounds, which is precisely why I love talking, trying to do so, because you have to use these kind of metaphors and these other sensations. And it's really, Morgan, it's so interesting to hear you say, like, talk about sort of the, almost the taste of his voice or the feel of his voice. Because one thing we learned when we were researching Tambor for the book was that if you look at um, brainwaves, so if you're listening to a sound, uh, a voice, say, that has like a rough timbre, your brain will actually light up the parts of your brain that um, respond to feeling something rough, like mm-hmm. with your hand. So in other words, I guess if you're listening to a rough voice, your brain will also light up the, the I'm obviously not a <laughs> neurologist, the, say, the part of the cortex that... Um, response to when you like feel a rough texture sandpaper mm. Mm. or something so the fact that you compared his voice to to cashmere or just or to like a where there's hard candy seems so appropriate because when we hear a, a smooth tone like that we might actually be literally like feeling or tasting that kind of smoothness too which is just insane to me and kind of wonderful. It gives me great joy to watch Nate struggle to find the words to talk about timbre because that is the it is so ineffable. And yet, despite being despite being the least theorized portion, uh, sort of a topic of music, yeah, it is probably in popular music the most important mm, thing. It's right. the thing that we, to 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 your point, we actually have this deep sort of somatic relationship to. We don't know quite how to describe it. We can't say that's an E minor seven flat five, sure. right? But we know it in our skin. Right. This is kind of macabre, but I did go to some of the early 60s stuff, which is on the last disc of this anthology, mm. partly because I wanted to hear if the smoking had sort of taken its toll or impacted his voice. And it, to your point, Morgan, you can't, if it did it, you can't hear it. And what struck me was just comparing the two versions that bookend um, the anthology, which is uh, his version of Embraceable You, Mm -hmm. which uh, he first recorded with the trio in 1943. And then there's a 1961 version um, that uh, is on the last disc uh, of the anthology. Christian, can you play those two back to back? Embrace me. 
my sweet embraceable you. Okay, and on the 61. Just one look at you. My heart grows tipsy in me. The consistency that between is wild. the two. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and if, if anything sounds different, maybe this is just me reading into it because as a listener, I have certain knowledge to know that there's a, a almost a 20-year gap. Maybe he sounds a little older. Sure. Right? And maybe that's you know, because he was in his 20s when he sang that first version. But effectively, they don't sound that much different. You can't place how old he is in the first song anymore than you can place it in the last one. If right. you don't know the discographic history behind the two recordings, it's, it's remarkable. My sweet embraceable you. Yo, before we get out of here, before we go to a break, I just have to say the other thing that struck me is his song, I've Got Away With Women. Hmm. And I was like, there's no shortage of confidence in the <laughs> Nat King Cole camp. Please don't think I'm conceited when I say I've got a way with women. They like my dreamy eyes. I've got a way with women. A Casanova in disguise. <laughs> Yo. Baller oh for real. God, Morgan, I thought I knew every song here, and I've never heard this one before. Thank you for... No, man, I saw <laughs> I, that immediately. That I was like, is Wait so a minute. fun. Wow. Wait a minute. And so as I was in prep for the chat, yeah. because it's undeniable, Nat King Cole had swag. Mm-hmm. He's, he's attractive, mm-hmm. he's debonair, but I didn't know the full impact and who it impacted. Mm until I found this clip from Della Reese. I was in love with Nat Kenko, and I didn't care who knew it, his wife, his mama, I didn't care. I was just in love with him. And uh, I, I, my first tour, big tour, was with uh, Nat Cole because Erskine Hawkins Orchestra played for him, and I was the vocalist with Erskine Hawkins Orchestra. And I was so smitten with him that I would stand I, I opened the show, and I would rush upstairs and change my clothes and come back and hide in the curtains so that I could watch him. And I studied him. Oh. Della was, was sprung. Was there some history there, though? Listen, they didn't provide all that. Okay. That was enough. I was like, what, Della? Because at the beginning, she's like, his wife, his girlfriend, I didn't care. His wife, his mother, and I was like, yo. We will be back with more of our conversation with the hosts of Switched on Pop, Nate Sloan and Charlie Harding, uh, after a brief word from some of our sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. Hey, gang, Jesse here, the founder of Maximum Fun. And with me is Stacy Molsky, who is, among other things, the lady who responds to all of your tweets. Hi, everyone. I also send you newsletters. Uh, so, anyway, something really awesome. You. Max Fun listeners have given us the chance to do something really cool on behalf of our entire community, and we wanted to tell you about it. Last summer, following the Max Fun drive, we put all of the enamel pins on sale to $10 and up members, with proceeds going to the National Casa GAL Association for Children. Your generous support and enthusiasm raised over a hundred thousand dollars. Our bookkeeper Steph would be quick to tell me the exact total is. 
to be exact. Your money will go toward pairing kids who've experienced abuse or neglect with court-appointed advocates or guardian ad litem volunteers. In other words, kids in tough spots will have somebody in their corner. Knowledgeable grown-ups who are on their team through court dates and life upheavals and confusing situations, whatever. The money we raise together is going to help a lot of kids. Whether you bought pins or not, you can help us build on that $109,000 foundation. Make a donation to support National Casa GAL and help some of our nation's most vulnerable children at MaximumFun.org slash C-A-S-A. That's MaximumFun.org slash CASA. And seriously, thank you. Our community rules. We interrupt the podcast you're listening to to tell you about another podcast. That's right. We got this with Mark and Hal. That's correct, Mark. This is Hal. We do the hard work for you, settling all of the meaningless arguments you have with your friends. So tune in every week on the Maximum Fun Network for We Got This with Mark and Hal. And all your questions will be asked and answered. You're welcome. All right. That's enough of that. We got this. Yo, and we are back on Heat Rocks talking the Nat King Cole Trio, the complete capital recordings of the Nat King Cole Trio, the 2,000 songs on this album uh, with our friends <laughs> Nate and Charlie. This is part one of the 75-part <laughs> yes. episode. Yeah. And I'm going to further take us down a, a off-tangent here oh, for a moment. Damn. But like the two of you, I study and write about pop music. And as such, I have a lot of pet peeves about how people talk about pop music, mm. um, least of all in this kind of current era of nonstop ubiquitous discourse. Mm. And I'm wondering for the two of you, is there any conventional wisdom about pop music that you see circulate that really gets your proverbial goat? And I'm assuming that maybe you touch on some of this stuff in the Switched On Pop book that you all just published. I love that question. And it's um, a particularly sort of real question to me right now because I wrote a piece recently uh, and I woke up yesterday morning to find my inbox full of hate mail <laughs> from uh, people from followers of a, of a youtuber who I made a video sort of disagreeing with with some of the points I made in my uh, written piece um, so uh, all, all to say that uh, I this is very far from the world of Nat King Cole, but basically I, I like wrote a little bit about the Jonas brothers and, um, oh. and, and the, uh, what I thought was a very funky drum, That's drum fill in, uh, one of their recent, uh, hits sucker. Don't complicate it. And, uh, apparently a lot of people out there, uh, really took umbrage with the idea that the the Jonas Brothers and and funk could exist together in in the same sentence, and I guess I'm s sympathetic to that idea in some ways. But it also, I think Charlie and I have had a a real journey from from being the kind of people who frankly dismiss pop out of hand. Uh, I think at one point in our lives, um, to the kind of people who whose lives have been radically changed by. Um, eradicating hierarchies of taste and letting mainstream pop into uh, our ears. Um, and so this was a moment where I had all these people, and by people I really mean like older white males, um, expressing their, their rage at um, 
talking about a band like the Jonas Brothers in a way that 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 took them seriously or gave them any artistic credence. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I I've I've come far. But there's a lot of people who still look at pop in this very ageist uh and frankly, kind of homophobic way, because a lot of people were like saying things like, oh, like you're slobbering all over the Jonas Brothers and like you're in love with the Jonas Brothers. And it's like, yeah, I think they are pretty cute and talented <laughs> for, for the record. But that's not really the point here. Um, it, it was, I guess, to say like, yeah, like, oh, wow, there's like still a lot of really powerful biases that exist around um, the way people perceive pop music. It becomes this repository for like how you feel about getting older, how you feel about gender, how you feel about race. Like yeah. pop so easily stands in for all those things because it is just such a big, juicy target. And um, It's one of the rare forms of art where it's still socially permissible to say that kind of music is bad, mm. right? You can't do that about a lot of other topics of culture. My favorite example of this is when NPR still did comments on their website. And mm. bless you, whoever at NPR decided to just turn that shit off because it yeah. needed to be done. Yeah. But whenever I reviewed, and this would just be like clockwork, whenever I would do a review about a hip-hop artist, yeah. inevitably there'd be someone in there, and almost always an older white white man, being like, rap music? Don't you mean crap music? And like that joke was tired in 1983. Right, right. And it's like 20, you know what, 2012 or 2013, you're wow. still doing that? Right, still. But, but this, this speaks to your point. I mean, it's it's kind of astounding, but yeah. This work is so important. It is the work which surrounds us, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why in, in examining, that my, my first reaction when you asked me earlier about what did I think about Nat King Cole, I was like, oh, this is pop music. And I don't think I would have said that five years ago before mm -hmm. we embarked on, on this project with, with, with Switched On Pop, which I think really has evolved our listening. I would have just said, oh, that's like a early jazz. Sure. But its social function was pop music. Mm. And pop music is this ever-evolving sound. It's very, it's a chameleon. Every few years, right. there's a new sound, which is pop, right? right. Like, right. we were in an EDM phase, we're in a sort of a trap phase. We're, I don't know where we're going. It's actually kind of the Wild West right now, which is exciting. For sure. um, but the music that, that, that Nat was playing at that, I guess it's not one moment, because it's it's a whole catalog. But he's he's writing music, which is meant to be social music. And... For me, that then requires putting on a set of ears that say, like, well, what is your intention? Who is your, Who are you trying yeah. to serve? Why are we listening to it? What is it doing for us? And I think when you listen with that kind of more open, curious mind, yeah. when you listen to the music itself, there is so much more that it has to tell you. Yeah, right. Pop becomes a, is, is an amazing way to sort of, like, take the temperature of the times or something. Yeah. That's why I like listening to your show because each album not only brings you into a musical world, but it brings you into like a, a moment in time too, yeah. you know, and it says, and every album says something about the moment it was created. And this to me is like, and I think the reason I, I love this, this capital collection, the sprawlingness of it is it captures so much of the world at that point in time. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have songs here about, um, about, you know, bebop. We have a cover of Rachmaninoff's Prelude in C sharp minor. We have kind of like a lot of like folk music from from black culture getting into the mix. Tin Pan Alley pop songs. Mm -hmm. It's just like this crazy blend of everything that was happening in the 1940s. If 
you had to do an extension of your book. Yeah. And you had to do a chapter on Nat King Cole. Mm. What would be your focus? Which song? Which time? Or what? What? What, what would good. you? Sorry, there are forty-eight thousand <laughs> songs on here, so that's that's a tough crowd. But you know, what would you? What would you want to? You know. So I'm to gonna focus on? I'm gonna pick the song, and then he has to explain it. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. I like that too. So the way that we approached the book is we wanted to. We think you know, with with, with writing about music you have the challenge that you can't hear it. And so we find it very important when you want to illustrate something musical, which is often that our goal is to sort of illustrate some larger musical point that, that is motivating a song. It's helpful to start with perhaps some of the most popular work sure. because that is the access point for everybody else. And then gives you excuse to reference all of the other work. So what's your favorite necking whole holiday <laughs> song? Hol- oh, you want to do a holiday I one? Think, I mean, I think that's the cool. thing that I think that that's what people would probably first associate yeah i mean let's do um let's do the christmas song right chest aka chestnuts roasting on an open fire but but like so now having sort of listened to this whole catalog how would you hear it differently and why like why how would you approach that i would talk i mean i would this has come up but i would i think so our book uh like pairs a song with a elemental musical concept so we do um like we were we were talking about timbre earlier we explore the quality of vocal timbre through uh, the song Chandelier by Sia. So I would probably put the Christmas song um, and I would do uh, I would do form, I think. Like we've, uh. been, we've been talking about how you structure a song and how that's changed over time. And in a lot of these Nat King Cole recordings, they're using this A-A-B-A song form, which is very different than the the dominant song form of, of our moment and, and really since the 1960s, which is verse chorus form. So I think it would be a cool opportunity to think about like why so much music of the 20s, 30s, 40s, and even 1950s used this AABA song form and what that is. Should we dig into that a little bit? Go in. Anyone? Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're already started. Let's go here. Well, let's let's explore. Okay, so let's take this the Christmas song. Okay. Um, so A section, right? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by choir. And folks dressed up like Eskimos. Should be Inuits, just for the record, but we'll, <laughs> we'll let it slide. Fair enough, um, fair enough. And then the the second A section will follow the exact same melody. Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe help to make the season bright. Tiny tots. With Great. Okay. And then we have the B section, which is going to contrast, right? Um, and that goes, um, you know, that Santa's on his way. We have like a new melody, yes. new chords. Right. They know that Santa's on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And then we have that, and then we have a final A section. To kids from one to ninety-two. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you. Bam. 
Okay. There's the tag. There's the tag. We got there. And that's that, like, kind of payoff, you know? Like, you've been waiting for that. It's all been building to this moment. Merry Christmas to you. And right. it's like, wow, how effective is that AABA song form? And I would just add, the more you know the song, and because most of us have heard it so many times, mm-hmm. You are waiting on it because you know it's coming. You know he's going to hit you with that Merry yeah. Christmas to you. And yeah. I think it builds that anticipation because yeah. of its familiarity. Sorry. Merry Christmas <laughs> to you. Um, so this is – I mean, I, it, and if we, like, grabbed a song at random from I'm, – I'm looking at a printout of the entire catalog we've been discussing all, you know – here 340 – yeah, 349 the songs paper worth. paper rustling. It's a lot. It's a tome. I bet if we just like picked a like scroll, you know, flipped through and then picked a random song, I think the chances are like probably 95% that it would be written in this AABA song form. Mm-hmm. It was just like so ubiquitous during this mm. time period. Mm. It, it, we talked about Embraceable You earlier. That that song has really held up very well. But those are probably a small percentage of these recordings. Right. And the, most of the other ones have just become sort of detritus on the, you know, ash heap of musical history on that note morgan what are some of the songs that really stuck for you going through this oh man well i have to say first there were some some songs that i knew that nat king cole you know had had become precious to me but in revisiting them in prep for the chat i listened to them a different way one of them was nature boy Mm. i hadn't listened to that in a long time and if we can just hear a, a little bit of of that christian there was a boy, a very strange enchanted boy. They say he wandered very far, very far over land and sea. Pretty, pretty, pretty. Wow. Shout out to the flutist on there. Flutist, flutist. Yeah, anyways. I listened to it. Both of them. Who, whoever, everybody that was involved. Shout, shout out to them. But I, but I listened to it differently. And I think more emotionally this time, um, it felt sad to me. Yeah, huh. uh, I used to do a radio show on KPFK, and my I was between a hip hop show and a gospel show, and I was playing sort of dance music and future soul, and I'd always be like, "Well, you can't go from this house music to you know Kirk Franklin." Huh. As as she would come in with her records, I was like, "You got to segue out." Mm-hmm. And um, one night, I was like. I'm going to play Nature Boy. I can't find anything that's a nice middle ground, but I'm going to go with this. And I didn't play Nat King Cole's version. I played a version by a composer named Ahmed Sarur and a a vocalist named Cleveland Jones. was a boy A very strange, enchanted boy They say he wanted very far, very far. And when the when the DJ came in, I was prepared to fade it out because yeah. I usually fade it out. And she was like, uh-uh, keep that going, <laughs> keep that going. I was like, yes. But in listening to it again um, in prep for the chat, that was one of the ones that I was like, I might have skipped by that too fast back in the day. Mm. And it sat with me and it made me wonder if Nat was also talking about himself. And it was just one of those things that was really, really, really personal to me. And then also um, the song, Can You Look In My Eyes, and I think, and, and Say We're Through. Huh. In these arms 
arms that used to hold you As they're longing now to do Can you look me in the eyes and say we're through? I mean, first of all, the answer is, if you're singing like that, then no, I can't say we're through. I can't look you in your eye. We're going the distance. We're going to see this thing to the end. Uh, but also, too, there are certain moments over this compilation. I'm like, how are you close? Are you far? Hmm. Is it a big microphone? What's going on in the room? And this was one of the ones that felt very intimate. His voice feels yeah. very, very close. Yeah. And it stuck with me. This is one I hadn't heard um, before. Charlie, how about you? Especially someone who you came to this partly because your, your partner here, Nate, picked it. And in sitting through a lot of this catalog, I'm assuming for the first time, were there songs that really jumped out to you? The one that most stood out that, that Nate did share with me was I'm an errand boy for rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> that's a dope title. Isn't that a great song title? Yeah, it's like, Yo. That's a, that's a cool original, too, I think. Huh. Yeah. You can always find me down at Smokey Joe. That's the place where every gal and gator goes. If you want variety, just step in and call me. I'm an errand boy for rhythm. Send me. Very different than like Nature Boy, for example. Sure. Well, yeah, and so this stands out for me because I think this is this really is pulling us as far as we can go from Nat King Cole, the uh, the, the the holiday song singer to yeah. actually the incredibly talented jazz musician. And, and when I heard this, I was just like, oh, he's just showing off. He's Flex. an errand boy for rhythm. He's writing a song so he has an excuse <laughs> to play as fast as he can <laughs> and have a ton of fun. I love that. Yeah. I'm going to pick uh, the Frim Fram sauce. I don't want French fried potatoes, red ripe tomatoes. I'm never satisfied. I want the frim fram sauce with the awesome thing with shafafa on the side. And I remember listening to this and I was like, wait, what am I like? Am I not hearing this correctly or something? Like, and then I looked at the lyrics and I was like, oh no, it's frim fram sauce with the awesome fay and shafafa on the side. And I was like, oh, so this is just like a nonsense song. That's great. I love it. But then you get to the very end of the track, and there's this little, like, tag that makes the whole thing pay off. on the side. Now, if you don't have it, just bring me a check for the water. <laughs> There's that tag that Charlie was pointing out. So rewarding, and I and I love it. I, so it brings up two things. It's like just the joy of like of the the performance, and even though it's such a silly song, the Frim Fram Sauce. I feel like these three musicians in the trio are just giving it like every ounce of flavor that they can, and it's just like the musicianship on display is just astonishing. And then with that little tag, it like it also it's it's very funny. Like if you don't if you don't have the frim fram sauce, uh, just bring me a check for the water. Like you get oh that this was like all, all kind of an elaborate ploy, but it also like captures something about the moment. This was a song written a few years earlier and during during um, the depression, and mm. you know I think mm. it, it does capture in uh, a very comical way like uh, uh, the 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 difficulties of that time too, yeah. and like the kind of the tight purse strings that people were. Sure we're dealing with. So 
I don't know. I, I, to me, it's like I love that song because it's it's just it's it's fun. It's like brilliantly performed. It it cracks me up, and it like offers again an insight into this time and place in a surprising way. And that's mm. what this collection, I think, just in general offers is just this. It's like a treasure chest. It's there's right. there's so much stuff you can just and even in our conversation, I've learned some songs that I missed, you know. So I, I, that's I, that's yeah. This is so much fun. <laughs> Thank. We've already talked a lot about I think some of my favorite songs on here, which included "The Best Man," which mm-hmm. was a song that when it came up on shuffle, I was like I had to rewind it. Like, wait, wait what, what did he just say? And we, we've already talked about that. Um, we've also talked a little bit about the 1961 version of "Embraceable You," and. I mean, that's just one of my favorite standards. Yeah. I think Cole does just a gorgeous version. I mean, the, the versions that are on the anthology, they're all good, but this one in particular. And if I can just laser in, there's a, the point where Cole, uh, Nat King Cole gets the solo about two-thirds into the song. And just what he does in the piano here, mm. I just it, 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 I wasn't expecting it and just love it. And it, it already adds to just a, a wonderful vocal performance. But hearing Cole work the keys, too, is, is just beautiful. It's just so pretty. That's mm-hmm. the term that it pops into mind immediately. It's just such a pretty turn on the piano. Don't be a naughty baby. Come to Papa. Come to Papa. Do. And I was thinking, you know, also in prep for this chat, I was like, and that King Cole probably isn't sampled. Like, no one's sampling that yeah, King that's Cole. Yeah, that's true, right? Um, yeah. but, but, but I found one. Oh, ooh. Kendrick Lamar featuring Big Pooh on a song called Thanksgiving. And he doesn't sample the vocals. Okay. He samples the instrumental from uh, Almost Being in Love. No one, I've done, situated myself, fine line. Be sure to be friend, cause my foes got five times. The good kid from the mad city holding a cereal box instead of a Glock. In the 1992 Cadillac that I got. Shout out to Big Band Samples. Yo. Wow, that's fun. I mean, I was like... Kendrick is prolific. Who's yeah. sampling that King Cole? That's Kendrick really is. That's cool. Yeah, no, between that, you've, y'all have dropped some some beautiful uh, knowledge tonight. The That and the the Nature Boy uh Cleveland, oh yeah oh man we need to that tr- voice that voice yeah. was like the Santa Ana winds it was yeah. so powerful we um we're gonna listen to that in the yeah. car yeah right after this it's okay. really good, good. and it, it stays good throughout yeah if the two of you had to describe the complete capital recordings of the Nat King Cole trio in three words what would yeah. those three words be and you, y'all can tag team so three three little words and a track on this this <laughs> album too how perfect um all right, we'll go back. I'll go first, and then you go, and then, or, or should we say them together no, at no, the no, same no, time? One, two. Okay, um, I'm gonna say uh, three, three little words. My first word is effortless. I have, I have one thing stuck in my head, so I'm yes. gonna break your format. I think you said the perfect thing already. It's where there's hard candy. <laughs> where there's hard yes. candy. All right. Well, Nathan, you got to come up with two more then. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I, um, I stole some, so I'm sorry. Uh, virtuosic comes mm, to mind. Yeah. Mm. I mean, just like we've been saying, 
the the piano skills, the vocal skills. It's just it's it's staggering to me, um, and innovative. Mm-hmm. So I'll just sit and play my piano until my baby comes back. If listeners liked what they heard here and when they finally surface after finishing this in 2021, <laughs> what should be the next thing that they listen to? And I'll start us off, yeah. which is listening to this really made me think of just a wonderful uh, duet album between John Coltrane and Johnny Hartman from 1963 called John Coltrane and Johnny Hartman. I want to say it probably was on impulse. Uh, just a God tier collaboration with its two people at the top of their craft. And Hartman has just one of the richest voices ever. The very thought of you Makes my heart sing Like an April breeze On the wings of spring And you appear in all your splendor My one and only Morgan. This one was hard for me. I mean, my my instincts at the beginning said I was going to say the Mills Brothers Paper Doll, mm. but I wanted I wanted the focus to be on one single singer. Mm. So it would be for me probably Brooke Benton, uh, Mother mm. Mother Nature, Father Time. Tomorrow you'll have no future, and there's nothing worth thinking of. From your past You're just breaking yourself Oh, that's cool. I can definitely hear the Cole legacy there. Yeah. That's really cool. I have a really strange year. I'm not sure if I can actually get us to there, but the thing that I heard when I was listening to this record, which we haven't talked at all about, was um, some of the some of the ways that he was referencing other popular music, and I heard some of like Western swing that mm. was happening yeah. in his work. Yeah, and so the place that my ear went to was a lot of the guitar work, and in particular a reference to I think someone who actually came in after uh, a, a a player named Speedy West who played the lap steel brilliantly in his track Speed Speedin West. So that's yeah. with an N apostrophe at the end. <laughs> I can totally hear, hear Cole yeah. singing yeah. over that. Yeah. yeah, you're such a guitarist. I love it. <laughs> what year was this? I'm, I don't have it on okay. my head. I'm sure. So. Yeah. That's like late '50s or early '60s, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. And I just shout out Charlie's such a good sport. He wanted to do Daft Punk for this conversation. I was like, <laughs> nope, sorry, it's got to be Nat King Cole. <laughs> I loved it. Um, I would go to. Uh, I would go next to Slim and Slam. Um, they're they're two artists around the same time as Nat King Cole. Uh, Slam Stewart, the the bassist, and Slim Gaylord, the guitarist and vocalist, and I just think I think what I'm attracted to in music, part of why I love Nat King Cole, is this is is this effortlessness, this lightness, this cleverness. Like that's what I love. I'm just like always going to go to, you know, like when it comes to opera, I like opera buffa. You know, I don't like opera seria. And when it comes to pop music, I like the I don't know, I just like the light stuff. 
And Slim and Slam are another one of these groups that are just have a good sense of humor. Mm. They're funny, and yet they're like crazy talented musicians at the mm. same time. Mm. I love that when you when people use their prodigious skills mm-hmm. in the fa- in 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 the in the with the goal of creating something just uh, like light and effervescent. Like that's that's my sweet spot. So yeah, I'll say Slim and Slam. do it for this episode of heat rocks with our special guests the creators and hosts of switched on pop nate sloan and charlie harding their new book switched on pop how popular music works and why it matters is now available on oxford university press shout out to academic presses that do trade books uh gentlemen thank you so much for coming through obviously there's the book there's the podcast where else can people find more about either you as a duo or either or, or as you as individuals online we like to chat a lot on on twitter so find us at switched on pop we're also on instagram and facebook but we have a lot of music, musical dialogue with some really brilliant listeners have a lot to offer so we'd love to hear continue the dialogue there at yeah. switched on pop all right excellent you've been listening to heat rocks with me oliver wong and morgan rhodes our theme music is crown ones by thess one of people under the stairs shout out to thess for the hookup heat rocks is produced by myself and morgan alongside christian duenas who also edits engineers and does the booking for our shows our senior producer is laura swisher and our executive executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the butterscotch smooth Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. We want to thank all of our five-star iTunes reviewers, including your friend Jamie, who wrote that, quote, our cast never fails to school me, unquote, while Eb Dab Dab wrote to say that Morgan and I have, quote, great tempo Mm. and excellent taste in music. Well, thank you for that. If you, listener, have not had a chance yet to leave us a review, please consider just taking out a few seconds to do so because it is a key way in which new listeners can find their way to our little show. We also wanted to thank all of our social media fans out there and our family, including the following folks. Misty Rose, who uh, really loved the uh, episode with our guests, Wendy and Lisa. We are and we're heavy in Team Purple out there right now. Purple. Thank, thank you, fans of Purple, his purpleness, Prince, and that album. She was blown to find out that Pat Smear uh, of The Germs and Nirvana was in the Raspberry Beret videos, a factoid that was revealed during the during the episode. We also want to thank Jacoby81, um, who wants us to do a Bobby Brown episode. Mm. Okay. Um, if someone picks that, then we'll, we'll go to it. Uh, Fed to the Teeth. <laughs> I just want to thank these names. Kershaw Khan, okay, who also liked the Wendy and Lisa. We want to thank Jazz Tahara, Keith the Gooner, Theo Gonzalez. We also want to thank Scalero Patera. Mm. Um, okay. We also want to thank, as always, Lost in Williamsburg continues to hold us down. Alejandro de la Rubia. We want to thank Purple Music. Okay, shout out to Purple Music. We also want to thank Gregory the Eight, as always, holding us down. Stubby Wrightmeyer. 
Okay. Shout, <laughs> shout out Stubby. We want to thank Gang Weaponized ASMR. Thank mm. you so much for the tweezies and the retweezies. Good to see you, Oliver. Good to see you too, Morgan. And one last thing. This is a teaser for next week's episode, which is an encore of Morgan's discussion chat with tall black guy about D'Angelo's voodoo, which turns, wait for it, it turns 20 years old mm. next week. Bringing it back. I mean, I just thought musically this was some other stuff. You know what I mean? Because there was a lot, you know, because back then people, you know, like at least in the soul stuff, they weren't really heavily relying on the live instrumentation. There was a lot of program stuff. So, like, it just sounded like really organic. And then obviously when you hear D'Angelo sing over it, I mean, it was that marriage between the music and his voice it was just absolutely insane. And then you find out later, like, they spent like five, anywhere from, five to seven years just studying before they even actually made the record. You can write one of these AABA songs so fast. I mean, you can just churn them out. They because I mean, even just saying it, AABA, that's three three parts of the song are using the exact same melody and they'll even as as what you'll often hear have like kind of a a lyrical refrain that returns. I mean, we could write one right now. Let's write a Heat Rocks AABA song. Hey. All, All right. right, you know like hey. there we go. You've, okay, so 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 Heat Rocks is going to be the little tag that comes at the end of each A section, and I know each A section is going to be the same length, say eight bars. Um, so I just kind of have to fill in the blanks a little bit in order to get to that Heat Rocks. So I'm I'm going to need a couple of rhymes with rocks. You know, we'll, we'll probably use socks, um, box, box, locks, locks. Okay, great. Disc jockeys. <laughs> I like that. Not not so. <laughs> Jocks, jocks, yeah, jocks. I think we have a new theme song formation going (laughs) here. Yeah, shout out to Fest One. For year three, we got to flip this. So then just, so, um, and I'm not going to say this is the greatest song ever, but just to illustrate, I think, how quickly you can turn these songs out. So it could be something like, um, if there's an album that really rocks your socks, come on down to the American Cement Building for some heat rocks. That's what we're recording, by the way. Okay, so that's one A section. Boom. <laughs> Just moving right along. All right, let's go on to number two, you know. Um, wow. You know, when you get there, Oliver and Morgan will welcome you into the box, drop some knowledge, spin some tunes. It's time for heat rocks. Yes. Okay, we got through. Wow, this is the art of Genesis Nate's right got here. Bars. We got through second A section. All right, now we need a B section. <laughs> And this is where we'll like introduce, you know, some contrasting idea or some doubt or something like, um, you know, uh, it doesn't matter if it's uh, jazz, pop or uh, soul, anything from who who did Shayna just do on on the show recently? Oh, Jodeci. Yeah, Jodeci. Anything from Jodeci to Nat King Cole. There we go. Okay, (laughs) Made it through the B section. Uh, and then we need one more A section. Um, you know, ed- anyone listening from the nerds to the jocks <laughs> will find <laughs> something to love 
when they tune in to Heat, Heat Rocks. Rocks. Wow. This <laughs> Yo, <laughs> made it. This we've got our new theme song. <laughs> and it's been recorded. Yeah. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.